It's an honor to be here and a privilege to be here, and I am blessed to be able to share the word with you this morning. And today we continue our journey through the story as we chronologically walk through the Bible. And last week, we covered the whole book of Joshua in one week, and we saw how the people of God were blessed. We saw how the walls of Jericho were crumbled because the power of God. We saw how they worshiped God. They remained faithful to the Lord, and extraordinary things happened. They entered into the promised land. And this week, we're going to cover the whole book of Judges in one week. I will dive into two of the characters of the book, two of the judges. This happens throughout a span of time of about 400 years. And God raised 12 men and women in this process. And uh, 11 of them were men and one, there was one woman. And I'm just going to choose two of them today. But this week you will be able to dive deeper through your small groups. If you are not in a small group, I encourage you to be a part of one. We say about 10% of the story and what could be said and the rest is discussed in your small groups. But as we see this generation under Joshua's leadership, we see that something happened. They made a terrible mistake. They loved God with all their hearts, but they forgot to instill a love and a devotion for God in their children. And that was a terrible and a costly mistake. I've heard many times, Christianity is one generation away from extinction. And this is exactly what we see in the book of Judges. In the context, Joshua had just died. And in this vacuum, in this absence of people not having the ability and the thought and the foresight to share the stories of what God had done in their lives, in the miracles. And there is, Revelation chapter 21 says, there is power. Say power. There is power in your story. There is an anointing. There is a grace in your story. You don't have to be a theologian to be able to share your story. You just share what God has done in your life. And and many people are fearful. Many people are fearful about, well, I don't dare to share my story because of the questions they may ask. Or I don't dare to share my story because of it, it may not be politically correct. Well, let me tell you what happened to a group of people that did not share their story. I want to pick up the story in Judges chapter 2 verse 10. And it says, after the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up. Who neither the Lord, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. This verse is a frightening one. It shows again how important it is for you to share the story. There are extraordinary tools attached to this curriculum that we are using. You can go to their website. And I encourage you, share your story with your kids. Share the story. Share the story with the kids, with your kids, with your grandkids, with your nephews with your nieces, don't forget about the role that you have in the life of this generation that is growing up. In that vacuum is that we begin the book of Judges. They had forgotten that, and they forgot that spiritual formation begins at home, and what it does, it it sends the people of God into this downward spiral of disobedience, punishment, repentance, and deliverance. And I want to pick it up in verse number 12 and 13 of that second chapter. And what we see here is that instead of 
the Hebrews, the Israelites, standing out, they began to blend in. They began to compromise, and soon they just became that, like their pagan neighbors. And look at what it says. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Now the asterisks were these columns that were raised in honor of a Canaanite goddess. The people of God knew that it was forbidden. The people of God knew that idol worship was forbidden in Levitical law. So they knew what they were then doing. But look at, at what happens next in this story. And this is encapsulated for us. And it's kind of the, the summary of the whole book. It kind of gives you the overview at 30,000 foot view in verses 16 through 19. It says, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies. And as long as the judge lived, God kept saving them from the hands of their enemies. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways. And I want to repeat that statement because it's going to be our anchor for the next point I want to highlight for you. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. We see the pattern of disobedience, of punishment, followed by a superficial repentance and then followed by deliverance. If we're not careful in this context, when we read the book of Judges, we will tend to think or see that this cycle of, well, if I do good, God makes sure that I have good living conditions. And what we realize, what we don't realize here actually, is if, if we don't pay close attention, what happened here is people were not repentant at all. People were actually more concerned about the blessings they received from God than the blesser. Every time there was an opportunity, every time there was a single slight uh, signal that they were going to lose the blessing that they received from God, they went ahead and repented. But what it shows us is they really never repented. They were more concerned about what they had than to have an intimate relationship with the Lord their God. They were more concerned about the things that they would receive from that God for the circumstances and the blessings and the food and the clothing and the promised land and the deliverance from their enemies than they were concerned about intimacy with their God. So that's a key point there. The fear of losing the blessing was more than the blesser. In Judges, they really never repented. And I believe that that could be one of our, uh, what we think could be one of our, our greatest fears. Sometimes we need to examine ourselves and, and, and not confuse 
the dependence that we have on God for love for God. Are you still with me? There are times we're so fearful about losing what he's giving us that we pretend we have a relationship with God, but that relationship is not based solely on the intimacy. It is based on what I'm afraid of losing over here. So that's what happened to the people of Israel. They became more dependent on the blessing than the blesser. So God has to raise 12 leaders to guide them into the light. And six of those stories are told, and and I'm going to share just two of them with you. And before we dive into describing two of these judges, I want you to rethink the concept of the judge that you have. You probably have the thought that a judge is someone presiding over a trial or someone sitting in a chair behind a dais. But about a thousand years before the birth of Christ, a judge was much more than that. A judge was someone that was the spiritual leader, they were the military leader, and they were the commander-in-chief. They were political, military, and spiritual leaders all rolled into one. And one of those leaders, one of the earlier judges, was a woman, a woman by the name of Deborah. And Deborah was a woman of God, and it was, it was rare. It was, it was, it was different. It was, she was a, well, the main thing is she was a she. And in that era, women were, were, they were seen but not heard. They did not lead nations and they did not hold positions of influence. Several years ago, a CEO went on vacation to New England with his wife and uh, they had to stop at a gas station. And uh, he went in for a candy bar and uh, she was outside and when he returned... She was, she was conversing. She was talking to the gas station attendant. And she was smiling and laughing. And uh, he thought it was a little bit odd. And uh, he kept walking. But he also overheard that uh, she called him by his name. And uh, they talked for a little bit longer. And she finally got in the car. And uh, they drove off. And it, after a few minutes of silence, kind of an uncomfortable silence, uh, he says, well, who was that? And she said, well, it's funny you ask. Uh, That's the guy that long before you, that's the guy that I was engaged to. And we have never talked to each other again since all that happened. There was awkward silence again. And uh, after a few minutes of silence, he comes back with kind of a smug remark, kind of an arrogant remark. And he said, have you ever thought about it? That uh, if you would have married him, you would have been married to the gas station attendant? And she immediately said, well, you know what? If I would have married, if he would have married me, he would have been the CEO. (laughs) Don't ever, ever underestimate the power of a woman. I figured women would like that. (laughs) Deborah was a powerful woman. J.F. Sandville says women have more strength in their looks than men have in their loss. They have more power in their tears than we have by our arguments. Let's take a look at the life of Deborah and pick it up in Judges chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehot was dead, so the Lord sold him into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, Sisera, And I want you to remember that name. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagiom. 
You don't need to remember that one. (laughs) Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. Deborah had a close walk with the Lord. She was a woman of power. She was a prophet. And it is, it is odd to find a woman prophet in the Old Testament, but that's exactly what she was. She spoke on behalf of God, and she spoke for God as she led her people. In verse 14 of that same chapter 4, we see Deborah talking to her commander, Barak. And she says to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And now in this conversation, Deborah is very quick to point out to him, a woman will be the hero of this battle. A woman will be the hero of this battle. And Barak immediately thinks, well, of course, you are our judge, you are our spiritual leader. So somehow, Deborah, you will be the leader of this battle. You will be the hero of this battle. But I want you to pay close attention to see how the story unfolds and how it is unpacked in verse 17. Sisera. Meanwhile, the Israelites have the enemy on the run at this point. And Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot. To the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. There was an alliance. There was a friendship. Verse number 18 says, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him. Now I want you to listen to what this sweet lady says to him. Come, my lord. Come right in. Do not be afraid. I'm not going to add anything to that. But. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. So in other words, Sisera, the commander of the enemy army, he is looking for refuge. He goes into this particular area knowing that there is a friendship between this family in this region and his king. So he goes in looking for refuge. And Jael, who's at home alone and probably with her kids, she invites him into her tent. Jael was a housewife and she invites him and says, Lord, you look tired. Sisera, boy, you look like you need some rest. Why don't you come in Get some rest. And she tucks him in. She serves him some warm milk. What a nice lady, isn't she? So she covers him with a blanket. And then goes and gets a a peg, a tent. A long tent peg. And a hammer it. And screws it through his head. While he's asleep. It's in the Bible. I know it's a little graphic, but it's in there. Okay? So she takes this long tent peg drills it through his head with a hammer and then Barak a little while later comes around and says have you seen Sisera have you seen the commander of the army and Jael says oh yeah he's in my tent he's in your tent oh yeah he's dead yeah dead I killed him you killed him oh yeah it was easy ten peg hammer and the guy was gone I'll tell you this from that day on 
I figured whenever Jael and her husband had a little argument, and she said, why don't you take a little nap, honey? I'm sure he never did. And it probably never went camping with her again either. But uh, I'll tell you this. God enjoys using the overlooked. It was a perceptive housewife. And we've seen this through the story. And we've seen it in your story. And I've seen it in my own story. God enjoys using the overlooked. God enjoys using those that have no hope. He enjoys using those that probably are the ones that are least to succeed. And those that are the ones that anybody will say, well, that's not a good candidate for that position. But as we go through the story, God raises another judge. And his name is Gideon. And he was from the tribe of Manasseh. And he was concerned because he said, well, who, when God calls him and invites him into war, he says, who am I, God? I've been living in crevices. I've been living in caves. And for seven years, the Midianites and the Amalekites had been persistently destroying the crops and stealing everything that the Israelites had. And God raised Gideon. And in that context, he comes out and the angel of the Lord says to Gideon in chapter number 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Typically, you won't thresh wheat in a winepress. But he was doing that before the Midianites came and stole everything that they had. Gideon did not want to be seen by the Midianites. The the Israelites were scared to death. He knew himself. A lot of people and a lot of preachers will paint Gideon just as a fearful man. But I also think that Gideon was a realist. He knew he was no match by himself for the vigilante tactics of the Midianites. So he was also in hiding and he was afraid. But we're going to see through this story how God is going to move Gideon from fear into trust. And in Judges chapter 6 verse 12, look at what God does as soon as he establishes contact with Gideon. He says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I mean, I'm not going to get into Gideon's personality and whether he was afraid or not, but I think it was a stretch. Mighty, from a farmer to a mighty warrior, I think it was a stretch. But you know what? The angel of the Lord was inspiring him. The angel of the Lord was building him up and letting him know, you know what? That cave is not your destiny. That cave is not your heritage. That place of running, of hiding, that place of fear is not where your, where your story is going to end. And, and he was about to pull him out of his comfort zone. So when God is ready to pull you out of your comfort zone, the first thing he does is he deals with your self-esteem. He wants you to know who you are in Christ. Because when you know who you are, you will know what to do. 
When you don't know who you are in Christ, when you don't realize you've been given a new name and you have a new robe and you have a new destiny and you have a new eternal place and you have a new house, you will be stuck to your past. And God comes into your cave and says, I'm ready to pull you out. But I want you to look at yourself the way I look at you now. I look at you through the eyes of my son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for you so that you could live in victory. So that's what he did with Gideon. Because for God, success is not the right set of circumstances. Failure for God is not making a mistake. Failure for God is not having faith. So when he comes, he blows your thoughts about self. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. Say victory. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Say our faith. We don't live in a world of circumstances. When you take the the challenge of being a follower of Christ, you live in the spiritual realm as well as you live and you walk by sight. But when you walk by faith, things begin to happen when you believe what God says about you. In, in Judges chapter 3, Gideon was still dealing with his circumstances. Gideon was still dealing with his past. Gideon was still dealing with the reality of what he had seen for the last seven years. And he responds to the Lord in verse 13 and says, But sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why has all this happened to me? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Median, the Medians. He was discouraged. He, was, he felt inadequate. He was apprehensive. His relatives were not powerful enough. He was, he was, the Medianites were fierce warriors and he knew that. And and he was concerned about how can I lead? How can I do this, God? I don't have what it takes. But in Judges 6, verse 16, we see how it it is all going to happen. And it says, the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites. God is reminiscent of Moses when God told Moses, I will be with you. When he told Joshua, I will be with you. And now again, he is telling Gideon, I will be with you. And he is telling you today, I will be with you. It is not by force, it is not by might, it is not by power, but by his Holy Spirit, says the Lord. So God gives Gideon a test. And he pulls him out of the cave and said, Gideon, I have an assignment for you. And I want you to go to... I have a landscaping job for you, basically, is what he said. I want you to go be before the, your parents' house, and I want you to redo their front yard. There's an altar to Baal, and there's a, some columns there that they've posted up front uh, to, to the asteroid, uh, Canaanite goddess, and, and I need you to tear those down. So he did, and when the men found out, they were ready to tear him apart. But, but God was testing his faith, and God was testing his consistency. 
And God wanted to know, if you're able to do this at home, I know you will be able to face the Midianites with courage and you will be fearless. So I want to see consistency. I want to, be, I want to see your faith at home. And, and one of the things that I thought about as I prepared for this was many people that, that have made a decision to follow Christ, they've been ostracized and they've been rejected by family or friends. And, and I am sorry about that, but I cannot but think to, that God is, is probably allowing you to go through a test like this because he has something much greater for you. And there are times that that we have to be courageous and in a loving way and in a caring way, let people know what you stand for. God wanted to see a step of boldness. God wants to see a step of boldness in your life coupled with consistency. So what the first thing he did is God restore his identity. The second thing that God did with Gideon is he helps him overcome the enemy at home. And now he helps him overcome the enemy outside his home. And the third thing he does is he gives Gideon victory. He gives Gideon victory and tells Gideon, I will be with you and we will strike the Midianites together. Gideon gets an army together and he's able to raise an army of 32,000 men. And uh, that's a lot of men, but God calls Gideon and says, Gideon, we got a problem here. And Gideon says, yeah, we do have a problem. 32,000 men, but the Midianites have 135,000 men. <laughs> and, and God said, well, no, no, that's not the problem. The problem is that we have too many men. And I want you to tell those that are afraid, I want you, I want you to go home. And if you're afraid, just go home and, and, and leave. Sayonara, adios, hasta la vista. So guess what happened? 22,000 men immediately left. So he was left with 10,000. And uh, God said, we still have a problem, Gideon. I want you to take this man, these men to the river, and I want them to take a drink of water, and only those that are on the lookout, only those that are aware of their surroundings, I want those to stay. So out of the 10,000 men that he takes to the river, only 300 are those that are drinking in a way that is fashionable enough for God so that he keeps them. And what's interesting uh, to this, about this is that it had nothing to do with the way God was going to give them victory at the end of the story. But it's powerful that God just kept shrinking. And now you have an army of 35,000 against 300 men. That's 450 men for each soldier, for each warrior of the army of God. So the odds are 450 to one. God has a unique way and the story doesn't end there. I mean, God has a unique way to strip us from everything that we believe that is going to give us victory. So after that, God says, okay, now you're ready. And, and in Judges seven nineteen, they divide the men, the 300 men into uh, three companies of 100 men and God gives them their gear. And it consisted of a trumpet, an empty jar, and a torch. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jericho, last week. 
God gives them their gear and says, okay, now you're ready. Mighty man of valor. You got a jar, you got an empty jar, you got a trumpet, and you got a torch. Now I want you to go. And they surround the camp. And while the Midianites are all 135,000 in the center, in the middle, the 300 men are on top of the valley. And at a certain time in the middle of the night, they began to shout and blow the trumpets. There is confusion among the army of the Midianites. And they begin to kill each other because they thought that the Israelites had already invaded them. And the rest of the Midianite army was sent out of town by God's complete army of 300. So it is powerful. I don't know you, but for me, that's a powerful story. What a story. What a story. 450 to 1, and yet they won. Yet they won. I'm often surprised when Christians talk to me and they, they let me know and they, they, you hear them speak, well, I will never be able to get out of debt. I will never be able to work on my marriage. I will never be able to speak to my boss about Christ. I will never be able to overcome the divorce. I will never be able to overcome the death. I will never be able to overcome the circumstances. And you feel like the odds are stacked against you 450 to 1. But I'll tell you this, just like he was with Deborah, just like he was with Gideon, just like he was with Samson, he is with you because he is faithful, he is powerful, he was, he is, and he will be. Amen. You might not be able to see it, but God sees it. You might not be able to have that strength right now, but God has the strength. You may not have the courage, but God does. God does. And today's message for you is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because he is with you. The odds may be stocked against you, but he is with you. You may be feeling it's 450 to 1, but he is with you. I want you to stand to your feet. and As I close today, I want to share this last thought by Errol Nightingale, and, and he said, you will remain the same until the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change. And that is so true. Oftentimes, we don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. There's many of you that have been Christians for years. And the issue is not your salvation right now. The issue is that you've gotten accustomed to the blessings of God. And you're more afraid of losing the blessing than you are afraid of losing the intimacy that you have with him. And that's a terrible place to be at because God wants more than anything in the world to be with you. As you go through the story, you will see that the passion of his heart, his desire, his sacrifice, his love is about sacrifice. His love is putting someone in a place of pain, in a place of losing what's comfortable and nailing him to the cross because of love. And he's willing to pay that price for intimacy with you and you may be in that place where you've lost some of that intimacy or you may be in that place where God I feel like it's 450 against one 
and I can't do this on my own anymore. Father, I've tried every, everywhere I know, every place, every person, every single way. And God is inviting you today into his presence and telling you this is not a reward system. This is not about you are good, I make sure you get a good life. This is more about I want to be with you at any cost. And if I am with you, your circumstances will be less important. And I'm not undermining your circumstances. I'm not taking your pain lightly. I'm not taking your challenges lightly. But I'll tell you this. When you're connected to him, there is life. And there is strength. And there is power. And all of a sudden, your your challenges are smaller than your God. And your God begins to grow taller. Or today you may be here and today is your day of salvation. And maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And you're at a place where, where you want to turn your life to Christ. And what a great day to do that. What a powerful day just before Palm Sunday. You get an opportunity to come home. You get an opportunity to fill your heart with the joy of the salvation by the price that he paid 2,000 years ago as he shed the blood, all of his blood. And he paid the price of your pain and of your shame so that you could stand up tall and say, thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love and your embrace. I want to invite our prayer partners to come and as we sing this last song, I want to invite all of you, whatever your challenge is, whether you're in that place of 450 against one, I want you to come and join forces with us. These are our prayer partners and throughout the week they are praying for you. But today we want to join forces and intercede before the throne of grace together. There is power in prayer when we come together and power in the prayer of agreement. And today I want to invite you, whether you want to come down for salvation and say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to turn my life around and I want to give him everything of who I am. Or whether you are sick in your body and you need healing or you need a miracle in your life. I want to invite you to come and as we sing and you do an audit of your life and reflect for these last seconds. I encourage you to pursue that intimacy with the Lord. Because that's, 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 that's the core. That's the essence of the story. Your story will end in victory as long as you're connected to Him. I love you. Thank you. You've been a gracious audience. And don't miss next Sunday. We'll be back for Palm Sunday. And have a blessed week. Tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your story this week. Don't be like the, the, the people of Israelite and judges. Terrible things happen as a result. God bless you. Love you and be here next Sunday.